0: And you have your Bibles, turn actually to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. I'm going to rewind and then we'll go to Galatians chapter 4. If you're catching up with the series real quick, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters. This is one of them. Uh, This is to the churches of Galatia. It's not to a specific church, it's to a number of churches that he wrote this letter to. And this letter is a little bit different than most of his other letters because this letter is... He's, he's a little more uh, upset in this letter because of some things that have happened in the churches in that region. What happened was is that Paul went in, shared the gospel, so many people got saved, uh, there was so many Gentiles that got saved. In those days, the, there was Jews and there was Gentiles. The Jews were the in crowd, and the, the Gentiles were the out crowd. They were on the outside, uh, and, and so what was happening in the New Testament church is now the gospel was going to these outsiders, to these Gentiles, they were getting saved. And these Jewish people were coming into these churches that were mainly outsiders, these Galatians, and they were coming into these churches, these Jewish people, and saying, hey, I heard you got saved, excited for you, pumped about that, but hey, by the way, I don't know if Paul reminded you, but uh, if you're going to be saved, you need to follow some of these Jewish laws. And so he began to share, they begin to share some of these Jewish things, which is all the Jewish culture, which is, you know, you can't eat meat, and you got to get circumcised, and, and just a lot of bad stuff. That, of course, if you're a Gentile male, you're like, I like meat, and I don't want to get circumcised. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay? Especially at 33. Okay? So, um... So that's what's going on right now, and so Paul is very upset with uh, these Judaizers that are coming in and doing this to the uh, Galatian churches, and so he writes this letter to them, and over the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at this idea of, of really that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. We talked last week, or I mean in week three, about grace, and grace is, if you summed it all up, it's it's. And Instead of us having something that I ought to do, it's something that I want to do. Grace is, at the end of the day, not a bunch of rules and, and guidelines. Grace is a relationship that God offers to us because God never intended to be your religion. He never did. God never intended to be your religion. He intended to be your relationship. And so what we're going to do when we dive into chapter 4 today is you're going to see this term, son, you're going to see it. We're going to read it in just a minute. We're going to talk about this idea of relationship, of sonship. So Galatians chapter 3, if you're there, Sam, there. Okay, good. Galatians 3, verse 26. We're going to read this. We'll read it all together. It's a short, short verse. It's only one little line. We can read it all together. It says this, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So through, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith faith now ladies don't get offended that you're getting called a son okay don't it's it's ladies too because as men we get called the bride of christ so okay so we're even we're bride of christ and you're sons of god okay but so when he's talking about sons he's not just talking about males he's talking about all of us we're all sons of god through faith in jesus and so that's what we're going to talk about today let's pray father we love you Thank you for this glorious day that we get to come celebrate men, celebrate fathers, uh, but more than importantly, God, we celebrate you as the good father. I pray that in our short time that we have together, that you would open up our eyes to see you in a way we've never seen you and that it would change us from the inside out. God, we thank you for all that you're going to do today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen, amen. Hey, you know, one of the things that that I look back at my life, I'm I'm thirty-three, if you don't know, I'm thirty three years old and I look back over my life and some of you you go, Well, you're just still a young guy and then others of you you're like you're an old guy See, I'm like in the middle now, because for teenagers, I'm old, and then for older, I'm young, and so I'm in this weird, awkward place, but I've had enough life experiences to have some really incredible days, some really incredible mile markers, some of the greatest days of my life. You know, as a, as a husband, of course, the greatest day of your life, aside from knowing and learning about Jesus and putting your trust in Jesus, is, is what? The day... You get married. The day you get married, my wedding day, April 12th was my wedding day over 12 years ago. And, and that was one of the greatest days ever, ever, ever in my life. And then there's been ones that have followed after that that have been great days. And, and probably the next one right after that, which was the greatest day, and it's the reason that we come and we celebrate this day, is the day my first child was born. My, my first son was, was born on October 19th. Um, you like that? 19th and 2000 um, ish. And so he's 10, so 2005, 4. Oh, okay, let's just go on. Um, I remember that day so vividly, though. And to be honest with you, it was the greatest, one of the greatest days of my life. And also for, for Lindsay, probably one of the worst times of being a, a husband. Uh, I was, we, Lindsay was in labor, we were delivering at Lafayette General, and so we got to Lafayette General, and it was during lunchtime hours, and so I was absolutely starving, so I called my brother. My brother came and brought me a big, whopping Judy's Inn burger. If you've never had Judy's Inn, you are missing out, um, but an inc- he brought me this amazing bacon-filled cheeseburger from Judy Sin with a large Smoothie King strawberry hulk. And I downed that thing. It was delicious as I sat there and said, breathe, breathe, keep going. And as, she, as the pains were getting closer, I would, of course, get closer and hold her hand and say, you got this, babe, breathe. And by God, I promise this is the truth. She looks at me and says, your breath stinks. Get out of my face. And then that's when you put the cheeseburger down, you back away, and you let her mom take over. Anyways, there's some things I did wrong in that first, son- first delivery, but uh, hopefully I made up for the second and third. Um, I did not eat Judy's sin for Judah or Joel. Just let everybody know. And I brought gum. And so, but it was a great day. It was, a, it was an awesome day. And of course, you know, sitting there holding, holding this skin-looking squirrel, because that's, that's really what they look like for at least the first couple months. And, and you're holding it, though, but you're like, this is mine. Like, I made this. And then, and then the reality is, i got to take this thing home. Like, what's, what's going to happen here? But it was a glorious day. And then, of course, my second son Judah being born and then my third son Joel being born. Those are all just phenomenal moments for a dad. There's nothing like witnessing childbirth. And there's, you can't describe it, um, and you don't want to describe it, but it's just an amazing feeling, right? You know, just, we'll just leave it. It's just amazing. and And so... Those are incredible moments for me as I as I look at all those I, I this past this past March or whatever one of the greatest joys I've prayed for forever that my kids would know the Lord and and as you know as a pastor our sons are not guaranteed to know Jesus I know way too many PK kids that they don't their kids don't know Jesus and so I pray and pray and pray and my wife and I pray and pray and pray and continue to point our kids to Jesus and this last March I think I have a picture of it one of the greatest days ever I got to baptize my oldest son which was a monumental moment for me. I loved it. And, and, uh, and so I love the picture because not only was it me hugging my son, but behind me was my spiritual father championing on um, in, in celebration too. And that is a proud daddy moment. That's a, that's a daddy moment um, that I've been waiting to do for, and I can't wait to do my other sons when their time comes. But as a dad, you just have these just, just these moments as a dad of what it feels like to embrace your, your kids. I know for me, one of the things I absolutely love the most after, and, 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 and dads in here that maybe have this, if your kids are still young enough, and they, they may do this or may not, but my kids are still young enough where they think I'm cool. And so at, a, at the end of a rough, hard, exhausting day where I've counseled so many people or things are just going on, The thing I love the most is I will open the door to our house, and there will be, as soon as the door opens, screaming of, Daddy! Now, that's Lindsay, and then, no, I'm joking. (laughs) Uh, That's not her. At all. (laughs) She's like, take them. But my boys, and it usually starts with Judah and then Joel, because Joel's too slow. So Judah usually gets to me, then it's Joel, and then it's size, like, hey, Dad, you know, he's too cool. He's 10, so he's getting up there. Um, eventually, I, I'm, I'm just soaking up the days right now. while well, I got it. So for those that don't have that, don't, don't, don't say it's not going to happen. I'll believe, well, there'll be 20 and still doing that. But I love these moments where my kids just enjoy that, and, and I enjoy them, and in this passage of scripture there's this idea of God not only being this ruling reigning judge but it gives a totally different description now in Galatians 3 and 4 of God being a father and I'll say this your view of God will determine your relationship with God how you view God determines your relationship with God and I think the problem is, and here's, here's the problem, because I know just as we do on Mother's Day, we celebrate mothers, but we also know that there's the other side of motherhood where moms who want to be, or women who want to be moms but can't be moms, or women who have had children and they've passed away. And I know also on the other side of manhood is there's men in here that want to have children kids, but maybe you can't have kids, or maybe for some of you, when we talk about God as a father, you absolutely hate it because your earthy father was a joke, and so I know that coming in here for many of you, when we talk about God as a father, your view of God is a, is a little skewed because of the fact, if you think that if God is anything like my, my dad, if he's a father like my father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Anybody understand how that works? And I think for many of us, if you've had an absent father, because here's the deal, just because your father may be in the home doesn't mean he's actually present. There can be fathers that are present as far as in body form, but are emotionally absent, spiritually absent. And some of you as wives, you have husbands like that. Some of you grew up as kids in a home where your dad did not go to church. Your dad could care less about church. And everything in your house was revolved around serving your dad and meeting your dad's demanding needs. And for you, that was exhausting, and, and it created this overwhelming bitterness in your heart. And maybe even till today, you still think of your father, you think of him in that way. And I understand, as our culture progresses, that there are more and more children being raised in fatherless homes. It's just the way that it is. And it's a sad thing nowadays, because here's the problem. Your view of God is often distorted by your relationship with your earthly dad. And and I want you to see this before we go any further. Satan's strategy to bring division between you and your father is much bigger than your relationship with you and your father. Satan realizes that if he can skew and jack up your relationship with your daddy, guess what bigger relationship that jacks up? Your relationship with God. And as I'm talking about this right now, some of you, you're realizing even at the moment, I can totally see that. And so what ends up happening is we move into this idea of being slaves of God instead of sons of God. I'm gonna walk through these three big ideas of what it is because Galatians chapter four is going to go into this idea of, of what it is to be a son. And we are either in one of two things. Every person in here is either in one of two categories. You're either a son or you're a slave. You're one of two ways. And the way you view God often will determine which category you will be in and then also the approach in which you come to him. And so let me walk through, through a couple of things. Let's take some notes here. So first off is this, is that a slave has a master. A slave has a master. Oftentimes we think God is a master. And so what is a master? A master is one who is always mad at you. A master is one who is always telling you what's right and what's wrong. A master is one that you're always constantly trying to please because you never can, can seem to get his favor or his approval and so a master is, is someone who you're always at the mercy of this person. And, and, and many of us view God in this way, that he is a taskmaster that is sitting on his throne, throwing down lightning bolts, waiting to just kill people and judge people. And he's, that's all he is. That's all he's good for. There's actually churches. There's a church in Mexico, and as a form of penance, These people feel so unworthy from God, they crawl to church from their homes to the church on their knees. And so if you were to actually go to this church today, all of the roads that intersect to come into this church, there are blood trails leading all the way up into the doorway of the church. Because people view God as a master, and the only way that I can get the approval of this master is I've got to beat myself or do something enough to earn that approval. And so for these people, it's crawling on their knees to church to show him that I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. So a slave has a master, but what does a son have? A son has a father. This is the good news of the gospel. Galatians chapter 4. Let's, let's read it together. Galatians chapter 4, reading in verse 4 and verse 5. It says this. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And his name is? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. If you ever wonder the answer to something, just say Jesus. It's usually the right answer, just so you know. Just trying to help you out. Okay. So God sent forth his son, Jesus. Now, watch what he did. He's born of a woman. He's born under the law. And this is why, to redeem those who were under the law, those who are under the law are slaves. They're slaves to that law. And notice what it says. To redeem those who are under the law so that, so it's going to explain right here why Jesus came in the very first place. He came so that, look what it says, we might receive adoption as sons. The whole reason Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law, was to redeem us from the law and to save us from the law, but not only that, but to make us sons and daughters. Now, I want you to imagine you are standing before a judge. What you have done has been a heinous crime. You have done a heinous. Heinous crime, and you know you have, you know that you're guilty, and you stand before the judge. And the judge, I want you to imagine this. The judge looks at you, reads all the things that, that you have done, your head is hanging in shame and in guilt for all the stuff that you have done. And then the judge says, I'm ready for a verdict, and he says, I am declaring you not guilty. And he bangs the gavel. How many know for the person who's committed all the crimes, one you would be in shock because I don't deserve to be not guilty. I deserve to be guilty. I deserve to be punished, and I deserve death. But, but the judge declares me as not guilty. That is what we call justification. Justification is this idea. It's a big term for God making us right. We are made right before God. That's, that's a, a judge going, you're made right. You're okay. Not guilty. You're good. But here's where the story continues, and this is where you've got to listen. The judge doesn't just bang the gavel and say, not guilty. The judge takes off his robe, comes down from his bench, grabs the the person, takes off all of his chains and shackles, redresses him, grabs his hand and says, hey, you're going to come over to my house, and guess what? You're going to be my son. You're going to be my son. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just declare us as not guilty. He takes us into his family as his own. So this heinous crime, this person who's committed all of this great depravity, and the judge knowing that, not only wipes his slate clean, but clothes him and brings him to his house and invites him to be one of his own sons. And this is the beauty of what Jesus does and what Paul is speaking of in Galatians chapter 4, that God is not only getting us right standings, he's also bringing us into his family. It's this idea of adoption, that you adopt people. I'm excited. In the coming months, we're actually going to have uh, in Louisiana, there are so many kids in Louisiana that, that have no home, no home whatsoever. And uh, we're, we're scheduling it right now, we're planning it right now, but in the coming months we're going to have uh, them come in and they're going to put up a whole wall of all of the children in our state that need adoption and anybody in here that is interested in that, we're going to show you how and give you opportunity to adopt children. Because I think adoption is the greatest display of the gospel. It's taking people that are not your own and making them as your own. And this is my son. And that is what God does for us. He adopts us into his family. A theologian, J.I. Packer, he says this, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's higher even than justification, which that's a big deal. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that involves. So here, let me, let me break it down. In justification, which is what we've been talking about for three, three weeks, in justification, you're made right? Before a just and holy judge. But in adoption, you are loved by a gracious father. And do you see how that trumps the justification? It's even greater. Are you made right? Yes, you are. But over here in adoption, you are loved by a good father. And I love this idea that God doesn't just adopt us. He doesn't just adopt us as sinners, and he doesn't just love us and then go push us in the corner to hide us, but he wants to show us off. How many of you remember or you know somebody that just had a first baby, like the first one, the numero uno? How many of you have been around that person? How many of you know that it's, a, it's, it's really at the end of the day, if, if it's not your baby, it's somebody else's baby, how many of you are sick of that baby? Like, I, I don't even want to friend you on Facebook for the next three months. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Because why? All they can talk about is the baby. Oh, he's so cute. He's, he doesn't do anything. He poops and cries and screams and eats. He poops and cries. But yet, for the, for, the, for the parents, I mean, we were the same way. I mean, how many pictures can you take of this one baby? Like 5,000 pictures in one day of a baby. You're like, what are you going to do with all these pictures? But yet, this is your baby. This is your son. This is your daughter. This is someone that, that you don't put in the corner and go, you know, go take care of yourself. No, he, God loves us and then he puts us on display. He delights in each and every one of us. So, a slave has a master, but a son has a father. Let's get into this next one because I think this next one's going to hit home for many of you. A slave is intimidated by his master. A slave is intimidated by his master. Here, let me, let me tell you a real quick. Well, let's read this verse, and then I'll, I'm going to share something with you. So, Romans 8 15, look what it says. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, look at that slavery. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I want to talk about this first point, and then we'll talk about the Abba Father. So it says, you don't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Do you know how you know? This is how you know that you treat God as a master and not as a father. You ready? You know you're a slave if you're afraid of God. That's how you know. When you fail, when you sin, When you blow it, if you are afraid of God, he is your master, not your father. He's your master. Because at the end of the day, I I don't know about you, but I don't want to hang out with the judge. I don't want to go camping with the judge. I don't want to go see Avengers with the judge. I don't want to have the judge over for dinner. Like, I just don't want to be around the judge because the judge is always ruling what's right and wrong, right? Right? Who wants to be around somebody who's always saying what's right and wrong all the time? Those friends are exhausting. You actually ignore those people's phone calls. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's always like that all the time. And, and we are often intimidated by our master when we are fearful of him. And I just feel like, well, I'll be honest with you. I was raised in a home where my dad used his his size, his voice, and his demeanor to get us to obey. So when I blew it, and when I failed as a kid, I ran from my dad. Like literally to the point, like I remember many times where I would be in trouble and I would be in a corner in my closet with all of the lights off hoping no one found me. I would oftentimes go to the roof of my house and sit on the roof of my house. And how many know when you run from a father who who uses their authority to discipline and uses power and uses all that, when you run, it just makes actually things a whole lot worse. And I grew up oftentimes afraid of my dad. So my obedience to my dad was not based out of loving my dad. My obedience to my dad was because I was scared if I didn't obey, I'd get beat. Any of y'all grew up in a home like that? So let me show you how this plays out. So as I grew up and I became a Christian and I sinned against God, you know what I did? I hid. I wouldn't go to church. I wouldn't want to be around people. I didn't, I didn't pray. definitely didn't read. I definitely didn't want to engage in any type of thing that would even get me remotely close to God because I knew that God was so hacked off at me. And I knew that everything that was happening in my life was because he was just, he was letting me have it. Because my view of God was that he was a master. And when you view God as a master, you're intimidated by the master. But let me tell you what happens when you believe that God is your father. Not You are no longer intimidated by the master, but a son is intimate with his father. A son is intimate with his father. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 6. It says this, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Now, no, nobody probably in here calls their daddy Abba. I mean, maybe some of you do. I don't know. But most of you don't use this terminology of Abba, Father. But if you, if you were to just get to the core of what this is, Abba, Father is the term they use for daddy. Is this idea of Daddy. And you can always tell what kind of relationship you have with somebody by what you call them. We've shared this in many other messages by the way that you talk to somebody and the way that you call somebody shows the type of relationship that you, that you have with them. And so here's a question that I guess that I, I have to ask all of you is when you pray to God, what do you call him? Lord? Savior? And those are good. But can I encourage you to call him Father? Daddy, big daddy-o, big papa. That's what he wants to be for you and for us. And see, here's this idea, because when we think of the word daddy, when you see this word daddy, you, you, you often think of like kids, like infants or toddlers or kids, like, hey, daddy, you know. But this Abba Father is not a form of infancy. It's a form of intimacy. It's totally different. It's not just this idea of, hey, daddy, like, it's, it's this crying, it's this heart passion of like, daddy! This idea of Abba, Father, it's and perfect example. So last night, I'm, I'm in my office, I'm studying, and, and Lindsay goes, Josh, I need you. And so, put down everything, I run up, and she said, Joel says he can't breathe. Okay? So I'm running up there. And, and here's the first thing that I do when I walk into his room. Jo- Judah is like, <laughs> and like passed out on the side. Joel over here is, is crying, and I can't, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And so this is, what, this is what plays out. I crawl in his bed, and this is what I say. Daddy's here. Now, Mama was there, and Mama's are great. But Daddy was here. So I start petting his back, and start rubbing his hair, and and, and guess where Aunt Joel ends up landing at the end of the night in Daddy's bed, <laughs> and slept like a champ with a foot in my side, and he poked me in the middle of the in my eye in the middle of the night. But that's what daddies do, right? Daddy's ear. Let me put it in a way that maybe would speak to you when you get the diagnosis that you didn't want to receive. Can I encourage you, Daddy's ear? When tragedy strikes your house or your home, Daddy's here. When you feel abandoned and lonely and depressed, Daddy's here. And however comforting it was for for Joel to have me rub his back and go, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, Daddy's here. God the Father does that with you. He's not a master. He's a father. And he wants intimate times with you. This is not a picture of a servant. This is a picture of a son. Do you understand? And so a slave is intimidated by his master, but a son is intimate with his father. Let me ask you, how does does Josiah and Judah and Joel, my three sons, how do they know that, that I am their daddy? How do they know that? Well, we could say because of birth. You know, 10 years ago, 7 years, and 5 years ago, Daddy and Mom helped conceive them. Mom had a baby, and you're my son because of birth. And yes, that would be true. My, My sons don't continually think back to the days that they were born and go, oh, that's my daddy, that's my daddy, that's my daddy. You know why my sons know that I'm their daddy? is because I am the one that is presently here as their daddy. I am the one who loves them and cares for them. I am the one who wrestles with them. I am the one who plays with them. I am the one who cries with them. I am the one who disciplines them. And they know that I am their daddy because of the love that I show them today. And let me tell you how you know that God is your daddy, because he's doing all that stuff for you today. It's not just that he saved you months ago or years ago or decades ago. It's that, that God is your daddy right now. Because here's how it plays out. For, for some of you that are in here that maybe you're a single mom and, 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 and your, your kids, their, their daddy is, is non-existent. For many of the men in this church, they represent dads for your kids, and can I say this to all of the ladies in this house that the greatest place you could have your kids is in church? Because it's the greatest place that they can see an example of what godly men should be like. But also for that, I know there's ladies in here where your husband's not here. I counseled with a woman on Friday who came in my office and was crying because she looked at, she came in, we're making the shirts for Father's Day, and she's just crying because she said, I just pray that my husband would be this. And he's not. And my kids are suffering because he's not. And I had to remind her that God is yet again the ultimate father. And we're going to continue to believe that her husband would step up to that plate and God would save him. But at the end of the day, that God is a father to the fatherless. When my dad bolted on us, I had to come back to this idea that God was my father. Because my grandfather had died. And then my dad... Went and did his own thing. And so there I was, the oldest kid in our home, and happened to rely on the fact that God, you've got to be my dad. And then God loved me enough to place me in a place where a spiritual dad could be put in my life, which is Pastor Bubba. But God is one that wants us to be intimate with him. The last one is this a slave is an employee. Have you ever been to a restaurant and the server is just an employee? You know what I mean? Like they don't care. You ever been to those places where like you're sitting, you're, you know, you're in the, the, the waiting, the server, the hostess is right there. You're looking in the restaurant and there's like 15 tables wide open and there's like 15 people waiting for a table and the hostess is just like, mm-hmm. and you're like, what's going on? You know what that tells me? That that hostess does not own that place. Because if that hostess was an owner, every table would be filled. So they treat it like it's just no, no big thing. It's, and, if, and I'm going to tell you, if you see yourself as God's employee and not a part of his family, you'll act the same way. You'll act the exact same way. So this is what's going to end up happening. Every time there's something that God wants you to do, you'll be like, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to. This is my Saturday. This is my Sunday. I can go fishing. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's just like this, like constant grumbling and murmuring, and complaining because you view that God, that you're God's employee, and like, oh, I, mean, I got to give all this, and I'm going to give all this money, and what is going on here? You know what I mean? I keep doing it. And so But in that in that's our heart. Oh, they got I me mean, got me serving in kids this weekend. I mean, I mean, what am I doing? I'm out with kids all week. I mean, what's going on here? You know, Bridget informed me this week she, almost probably 70% of our people that work in our OSC kids department don't have kids in OSC kids. I said, well, that's one of two things. Either the moms who do have kids are like, I don't want to have anything to do with kids. (laughs) Which I bet that's probably true. Or the opposite is, man, we just have some incredible women that just love kids and men. But when you view God as your taskmaster and you're his employee, everything that God asks you to do, you'll view as a rule that you want to break. And so instead of seeing it as a loving thing, you're going to complain. And 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 I'm going to say this, as a son of God, I don't work for God. I work with God. And as a child of God, for all of you, you don't work for God. You work with God. You don't work for him. Which means, let, let me share this example. John Wesley, who was a a incredible scholar. He was a pastor. He was a missionary from England. He was actually a missionary that came to Georgia from England. He would go into prison, serving, helping prisoners. He'd take food to children in the slums. He fasted and prayed way more than you and I ever did. He studied the Bible like crazy. And he came back from a missionary trip from Georgia in England. And this is what he writes. Now listen to this. This is a guy who was a a pastor, did all this incredible stuff. It says this. This is what he says. He says, I went to America to convert others, but I came to the point where I realized I myself was never converted. I once had a faith of a servant, but not the faith of a son. So here's the question that I have for all of us. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have the faith of a servant where you view everything as a a checklist and there's boxes that you got to check off and you got to do this and I got to show up to church and I got to give and I got to serve and I got to be nice to my neighbors and I got to forgive people and I got to do all this because when I do this, then God is going to be favorable to me. Or is your faith of a son, which is you understand that you are the issue, that you are the problem, and there's nothing you can do to find favor, and you've got to just accept his grace through faith in Jesus, and that is the only way that you're going to be made right with God? I wonder how many people in here are living as servants or employees when God's asked you to live as a son. See, a slave is an employee, but the last one is this a son is an heir. A son is an heir, Galatians 4 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what does this mean? You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And not only are you a son, you're an heir. What does this mean? It means that all that belongs to Jesus belongs to you and me. Everything that belongs to God belongs to you and me. Why? Because we're a part of his family. We're part of his family. So here's the real big question, because it says that you and I are heirs of God. What is an heir? What did we inherit? What is it that we inherited? I'm going to give it to you real plain and simple. You inherited God himself. That's what you inherited. You inherited God. You're like, oh, man, I I want all the riches. He is the greatest riches. Now, let me show you. Psalms 73, verse 25, it says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? This is David. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now look at this. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, did you notice something here? He says, my flesh will fail. My heart will fail these things so here's the question when your heart fails and now we're not talking about your physical heart but even though there will be a day you will die but we're talking about just your heart your passion your love your drive when that fails when you don't have that anymore where do you turn where do you go where is your hope this is david's hope that God will be my strength, that God is our strength, that God is our portion, that God is enough, and that God will sustain. Now, you may say, well, Pastor Josh, you don't know, man. My, my family's all jacked up, and, man, I just, I've, I've been through so much stuff. I'm going to just tell you right now, you're nowhere near as jacked up as David's family was. David's son slept with his daughter, Then he had another son who who created a rebellion to kill his dad. David ran for his life for so many years because his his earthly, almost like a spiritual dad, Saul, the king, was chasing him everywhere. David committed adultery. David killed somebody. And so I'm going to just submit this to you. I don't think your life's as bad as David's was. I mean, I'm just saying And yet we learn from David where his strength comes from. Because his heart failed him. His soul failed him. His flesh failed him. And he knew that the greatest thing that he had, that he inherited, was God himself. Now, I'm going to say this in closing. I think most of us get the idea of God as a just judge. I think everybody in here understands God as a just judge. I think most of us struggle with God as Abba Father. See, most of us doubt that love and affection from God, that God could love me. And I'm going to tell you why you doubt that you think that God could love you. Because life hasn't worked out like you thought it would. If we were honest in here, Like really honest. There are many of you that hold such great resentment towards God because you had your life mapped out at how it would go. And it just didn't go that way. It didn't go that way. And I want to pastorally be honest with you. No one's life has gone the way they planned it. No one, no one. If you sat down with me and you created a list of all the things that would need to happen in your life to make you happy, I would like God to do this and this and this and this and this. And if you were to tell me and give me that list, I would then introduce you to somebody in our church that has all that list and is miserable. Some of you are like, there's no way what has happened to me was extremely loving. You know, you say God is a father and that he loves me. Well, how can he love me if all this stuff has happened in my life and I've got this disease or I had this marital tragedy or I had this relational tragedy or I lost this kid or I lost this thing or... Whatever, you fill in the blank of whatever tragedy or crisis has happened or pain that's happened in your life. And and, and for you, it's hard to view God as a loving father because everything in your life has seemed like it's just been pain. So how can I experience God in a loving way? I mean, it's led me to be bitter and angry and unforgiving and hurt. But can I say this? What happened to you did not produce that? you have produced that out of what happened to you. What happened to you didn't produce that anger. You just allowed that anger to be the byproduct of what happened to you. Because we can go and look throughout Scripture of people, men and women, David being one of them, the Apostle Paul who we're reading of as one of them, whose life was a wreck. Life was terrible, Tragedy after tragedy, sin after sin, failure after failure, and yet in the midst of all that, clung to Jesus. See, because I believe that a lot of the things that transpire in our lives are twofold. Either God is creating maturity in us, or number two, God is wanting to reveal to us that there's no place we can have hope in other than Jesus. Everywhere else you put your hope, people, money, job, husband, anywhere you put your hope other than Jesus, it will fail you. They will fail you. But God is our strength. But God is our hope. But God is everything that we need, everything that we have. And yes, you are holy. You are spotless. You are blameless because of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. But can I also tell you today, and may you hear this with renewed ears, that you are delighted in, You are loved in. You are rejoiced in. You are a son, a daughter of God. And this is an invitation. Why would you want to be a slave when you could be a son? Why? Why be a servant when we can be in the sun and sit at the table? Jesus today is inviting you into the family. To come, to be a son. Because at the end of the day, when all is said and done, relationship changes everything. Remember, God didn't come to be your religion. He came to be in your relationship. He came to be with you. To be with you. So in this place, I know there's fatherhood. I have it myself. I remember the day I had to go and sit across from my dad who had did some despicable things to our family. And I sat across my dad. And I said, Dad, I forgive you. And he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. But I needed to do it. Because I knew that I was now a son of God. I was a child of God and God has freely forgiven me and accepted me into his family and so now I can freely forgive others and accept them into mine so I want to do this in this moment I want you to just close your eyes where you are and I know that God is, is, he's speaking to people and there's, there's some of you in here that literally its for you it's been duty it's been fear You've been in this slave, employee, master relationship with God. And today God wants to know you. He wants you to be known by him. He wants to invite you into being a part of his family as being a son or daughter in his family. And I believe there's just people in here like you've been hurt. And your relationship with your dad or your relationship with other people has just skewed, it's just skewed so much of your relationship with God. And you have an opportunity today to just break that chain, just to break that off and let God love you, adopt you and bring you into his family. And so if that's you, just all across this room, would you just raise your hand and just say, hey, that's me. I wanna be in the family. I wanna be a son, I want to be a daughter. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, bless you, thank you so much, thank you so much, thank you, thank you for being honest, thank you for being honest. Anybody else? anybody else in here? Hmm. Come on, just just repeat this after me and say, God, thank you. Come on, we all gonna say this together. Say God, thank you for sending Jesus and for loving me. Thank you for being my father. Forgive me for going my own way. And today, I ask you to come in my heart and to change me, to save me, to adopt me. Give me both the desire and the power to live for you. Today, I give you my life. I give you my whole heart. In your name, I pray.